be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. We reconcile to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's word. You may be seated. I hope that, uh, that you have your outline in front of you. We're going to be uh, looking mainly this morning at uh, John chapter 9. Uh, because of the, uh, the elder installation this morning, uh, we're not going to spend as much time as we normally do in, uh, in a sermon. But the questions that are going to be needed for a small group tonight are going to be found at the bottom of that page. And we're going to uh, kind of work our way through the first, well, all of the, the verses of chapter 9 of the Gospel of John and we're going to pray, but before we do that, let me give you two uh, pieces of good news. One is, if you found out a little bit too late that uh, the EEM, Eastern European Missions Dinner, which is coming up, you found out too late about that, did not have a chance to RSVP, Barry tells me that uh, you can still do so. You can contact him, or you can go to our app, or call the, the church office, and we'll make sure that your name is added to all of those that are going to be going to, um, to that dinner. Uh, the other piece of good news, and hopefully they're streaming with us right now, is that uh, Grant and Sarah uh, Cobb have become the parents of a brand new baby girl. Eden Cobb was born yesterday, 20 and a half inches long, 7 pounds, 13 ounces. Everybody's healthy, everyone doing well. They're at North Central Baptist, and Abby and Asher have a new little sister. So we're really happy about that. It's always great when we have these new little babies born into our church family. And what we're going to do right now is not only pray for uh, the cops, but we're going to pray for God to bless us as we go through this text. Father, grant to us through all of the ways that you open our mind and heart and strengthen and galvanize our spirit, encourage to do it. We ask for you, Father, to give us eyes that see and ears that hear this morning in order to take all of your word and transplant it into the way that we live our life. For you are great and mighty, and as your children, we want to imitate and emulate you in all that we do. But we know that we are also fallen, and that we are immature, and that we are tempted, and there are moments of weakness, and we do not live, and we do not uh, see people the way that you would have us to see them. And so to this end, Father, we pray that you will give us this help as we study this story, uh, this event out of the life of Jesus as John, who was there, saw it and tells us. And this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I had a, a friend in college. I think everybody has a friend like this at some point in their life. It's a guy that um, uh, he likes a practical joke. 
And uh, uh, Lee was known as a practical joker. There were times when you would, uh, he would sneak out during church and booby trap your car. And you would drive out and you'd start your car. And he had put a whistler on the spark plug so that your car wouldn't start, but it would fire up that whistler and there would smoke and things would start screaming out from under your hood. And he just did that to everybody. He, I was one of his roommates for a number of uh, uh, months, months, not years, but months. And he, he had this reputation in town of being this practical joker. Well, what happens when you're a practical joker? What goes round comes round. And he decided uh, he was going to get married. And uh, he knew his brothers. He knew that there was going to be some payback. So what he did was after the, the marriage ceremony was over, instead of driving away in his car that was booby-trapped, I mean, it would, I mean, it was absolutely stunning what his brothers had done to this car but he knew he was going to do, they were going to do that. So instead of getting in that car and driving off, he acted like it and then jumped in his father's law car and drove off. Well, his brothers got a little angry about that. So they decided to go home and uh, hatch a plan on how they would get a little bit of revenge on, on Lee. And so when Lee and his wife returned to their home in Abilene after their honeymoon, they found that uh, somebody had broken into their home had uh, ripped and removed all of the labels off of every can in their pantry. (laughs) And then his wife, to Lee's chagrin, discovered that they had poured jalapeno juice into every jar that had been opened in their refrigerator. They had, uh, they had done a lot of other things. They bolted the bed and the mattress and everything to the ceiling of their bedroom. I mean, just really some crazy stuff like this. I hope nobody ever does to anybody ever again. But, you, you know, dinner time at their house was kind of interesting. They never knew if they were going to have sauerkraut and beets and green beans together. She would just open those cans and they would eat whatever was opened. And there's something important to say about a label, right? That when you go into the grocery store, a lot of times you look at that label and it tells you what's on the inside. You look at that wrapper, there's sometimes a picture of it. You look on the inside, there's uh, on the uh, on that label, and there's ingredients about what's on the inside of that can, and it can be really really helpful. You see a lot of people standing in the aisles these days reading the ingredients that they find in cans. But here's the thing: what happens and works well with cans doesn't work well with people. Every ethnic group, every subculture, every racial group has has a way to refer to others in a derogatory way that's outside of their group. And those labels don't merely stay labels. Those labels become walls between people. And a lot of times it has to do with controlling and excluding people. There's, there's a gigantic body of material that's been written over the last 60 or 70 years called Labeling Theory. It began with George Herbert Mead, a fellow by the name in the criminal justice system, a fellow by the name of Frank Tannenbaum has, has written ex- extensively about, about the labeling theory and how it works in that particular part of, of his interest. But it's, it, it deals with uh, uh, deviance and, and stigma and all of these different kinds of things. What, what happens with cans, though, uh, is not usually a good thing for people. And especially when it, 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 it becomes a wall from the gospel advancing into people's hearts as it should. 
And I want to give you an example of how that happens in John chapter 9. As we open to the story, you know, this is the story where the man is born blind. He's healed by Jesus. Jesus is going along. And they see this fellow on the side of the road who's born blind. And they have this, this question. They say, Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? You see, what it is that the disciples are seeing as they're walking along. What they see on the side of the road is a, is a theological question. They, they, they see a sinner is what they see. Who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Well, Jesus answers the question, neither this man nor his parents sinned in order for him to be born blind. He was born this way in order for you to see the greatness of God's work come to bear in his life. And you know the story, he takes some, he, he takes some dirt and with some, some spit, some saliva, he, he puts it on the man, the man goes to the pool Siloam, and he washes off and he comes back seeing. And all of the neighbors begin to, to notice this guy, and they begin to have questions about him as well. Now, where the disciples see a sinner who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind, the neighbors want to know, is this the guy that we used to sit, see sitting on the curb begging every day? And some insisted that he was, some said he was not. The man himself said, no, I'm the guy. But what is it that those, those neighbors see in this miracle? They see a beggar. Is this the guy who sits here and begs that we've seen every day? Well, they couldn't come to any kind of conclusion, so they decided to take this fellow to the religious leaders of their day, the Pharisees, in that particular place. The Pharisees are the ones who, who are, are considered the, 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 the know-everything when it comes to Torah and to the prophets and to, to, the, pro, and, and to the, uh, the, the, the wisdom literature. And so they bring him to them to try to get some answers about what has happened here. And the Pharisees are knowledgeable. They have, they have committed to heart Torah. They know the Scriptures. And they brought him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, and there's this little foreboding statement that is made in John's Gospel where it says, and the day on which this happened was the Sabbath. And now all of a sudden the Pharisees, they have a theological issue. They see the miracle. The man was born blind. And... Nobody can uh, dispute the fact that he can see now. But they want to know, why in the world, if this was done by God, how come it was done on the Sabbath? Why is there the breaking of the fourth commandment? What they see, theological issue, that trumps the miracle that has been done in this guy's life. So you have the disciples who see a sinner. You have the neighbors who are seeing a beggar. You have the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day, who see a the theological issue. Well, they can't come to any kind of conclusion. They're debating back and forth with the guy, so they bring the parents. And the parents, they ask, is this your son? Yes, he is. The next thing they ask is, well, can you explain to us how this happened? And John tells us that the reason that they say, well, he is of age, he's an adult, let him answer for himself, is because they were afraid that they would be thrown out of the synagogue. So culturally speaking, here is this, this, this fella that is, is labeled at, in the parent's mind. They're struggling with these issues as well. Why is he born blind? Is this God's disfavor on him because of who he is? So he's already been kind of a threat to them socially, but that threat is going to continue even into the religious life because now the Pharisees have said, whoever says that Jesus is you know, who Jesus says he is, is going to be thrown out of the synagogue. And so they bring the man back. The parents see this threat to their life, to their, their cultural, social life, 
And they bring him back to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, all right, tell us again. Because we believe that this guy has to be a sinner. Nobody can, can, can do this and break the Sabbath and, and, and be considered a godly man. And he says, you know, nobody's ever heard of anybody doing this, and yet it's happened. Here's what I can tell you. I was once blind, but now I see. And that angers them so much that they toss him out, where he runs later into Jesus, and he comes to faith, and he says, Lord, I believe. And so it's kind of interesting what happens there as, you know, walking along one day, miracle takes place, the disciples see a sinner. The neighbors see a beggar. The Pharisees see a, a theological issue, and the parents see a threat. But let's read together verse 1 of John chapter 9. As he went along, he saw a what? Man. As he went along, Jesus saw a man knew he was blind from birth but he saw a man where the disciples see a sinner and pharisees see a theological issue and the neighbors see a beggar and the parents see a threat to their way of life the miracle takes place in his life because jesus first and foremost sees a man and seeing a man in that discussion with his disciples he says, it's here in this man that the work of God can be done. Two really quick points as we get ready to leave this morning. We are in the God business and the people business. One of the things that we, we must see ourselves and identify ourselves as a church is that we live between the world of violence where people are labeled, where people are hurt, where people are made miserable, where people are abused and oppressed and encounter injustice, and the message of the cross in which every human being, male or female, has the opportunity to become a child of God. When we say we love God, how can we, how, how can we love God without the second thing being true as well, that we love people? And as we love God and as we're loving people, the world is changed because there is a group of people who stand between that violence and the message of the cross in enabling folks to come to faith in God and to be changed and transformed and forgiven in such a way that their new identity is that they belong to God. The us and the them that we encounter so much in the world, whether it's at school whether it's at work, whether it's international, whether it's, 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 um, it's in our neighborhoods, as disciples of Jesus of Nazareth who have this unique perspective, not just on God, but what God can do in the lives of human beings who are made in His image, it is a, a perspective that takes the us and the them in order for it to become we, the family of God. 
And then number two, the gospel only advances as far as our prejudices and our biases. The gospel only advances as far as our prejudices. One of the things that all of us have to do is to readjust our own identity. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. When you're a disciple of Jesus, you don't continue to live your life in the same old way, thinking the same old thoughts and doing the same old actions. Now, you may keep the job, you may, you know, you may stay in the same house. The way that you live, the perspective, the heart and the soul and the mind of you as a disciple of Jesus is in continual readjustment. We are fallen people who have been saved by God's grace. We have His Word resonating in our mind, His Spirit in our heart, and we're being transformed on a daily basis basis, which means that we're readjusting all the time in order to become an imitator of God like his beloved children should be. And one of the things that we do as we live as a disciple of Jesus and readjust our identity to look like him and to walk like him in all that we do is that we help people to understand that God wants to readjust them as well. And it's actually much more profound than that. It's being given a new life. It's being given a new birth. It's being completely remade and restructured. But when it comes to their own self-identity, who they are is a son of God, a daughter of God, a child of God, which rises above and transcends any label that we might, we might uh, put on another human being. We're going to sing a song right now. Ben's going to lead us in this song. It's a song of praise. It's a song that recognizes the greatness of God. It's an opportunity for those of us who are disciples of Jesus to, to, to recognize everything that He has done to change us to the human beings that we live now in this world and in the world to come. But it's also an opportunity for those who have never given themselves, maybe buying into all of the labels that they've, they've uh, uh, have had thrown at them over the years. It's an opportunity for you to rise above that and to see yourself not as whatever this culture or that culture or that group or that subculture, whatever, might call you and build up a wall between you and them. It is a way for that wall to come down between you and God. By admitting that you haven't, you haven't lived a perfect life. Nobody has. But even though you've not lived that perfect life, you're loved by God. And God, to great, to great cost to Himself, has provided that way for you who are not perfect, for me who is not perfect, to be able to find our way back into the embrace and the presence of a perfect God. And it begins by recognizing not only are we not perfect, but that the Christ is. And that that Christ in love took all of the things that I've done wrong and you've done wrong in this life, took it on himself and paid that debt. He went to prison for you. He took the electric chair for you. He did all of that for you and for me in order that I'm just not set free. You know, when we receive that forgiveness, it does not mean that we're just free to go. What it means is that we have been saved the reason he did this was for us to be saved unto him and to become his. And he is ours. And nothing, Paul tells us in Romans 8, can separate us from that. Not what somebody would call you, 
not even what somebody would do to you or think about you. But because of the cross, you become family. You're embraced and included in the family of God forever and ever. And you confess that that He is God. And your sins are washed away in baptism. You receive the gift of that Holy Spirit. How that happens, I don't know. But the Bible tells us that one of the promises is that God's Spirit would live in us. And it's God's Spirit, His power, that helps us to live that life that He calls us to live. And we become a part of a family that's diverse. And there is every kind of group that you can imagine that's going to be in heaven that's represented in God's church on earth. And that can happen for you today if you so desire. Come down to the front and talk to some of these shepherds as we stand and we praise God together. Father God, just for today, help